And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals who seek the best education and inspiration on how to start and how to grow a business. HubSpot Podcast Network hosts act as on-demand mentors to entrepreneurs, startups, and scale-ups through practical tips and inspirational stories. Listen, learn, and grow with the HubSpot Podcast Network at HubSpot.com slash podcast network. Today, my guest is Charlie Wyman. Charlie Wyman is a business development strategist, B2B LinkedIn consultant, trainer, speaker, and host of the Curiosity Key podcast. Charlie has experience working across more than 10 different industries and sectors in various commercial leadership roles, as well as bringing in incredible experience as a rowing and Olympic weightlifting coach. In her teachings, trainings, and podcasts, she speaks about curiosity and how it applies to entrepreneurship, sales, marketing, and leadership. We went deep on B2B marketing, B2B sales. This is some of the stuff we spoke about. Why do most businesses not have a marketing plan, even if they think they have a marketing plan? What is the biggest problem that she sees businesses facing? Is it important or not to take consideration into the suggestions of your sales team and how to build that into your marketing strategy? What is customer-centric marketing and how do you accomplish it? How do entrepreneurs get their whole team to buy in on a particular sales or marketing strategy? What is intentional curiosity and why you should care about it? As well as how companies should start being more curious in terms of their marketing strategy. She breaks down a whole bunch of step-by-step processes and tactics that you can use tomorrow in your business. So this is Charlie Wyman, business development strategist, B2B LinkedIn consultant trainer, and the host of the Curiosity Key podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me on the show. It's uh, it's a real honor. See, curiosity has just been my mantra throughout my entire life like I was considered that naughty kid at school because a lot of my teachers kept saying like she needs to stop asking questions because I was always really curious to know like why are we learning this what is this going to enable us to do and I think it's just always come across and I always call myself like kind of an opportunist so I can sort of see opportunities in different areas and if I've ever been curious about them I've always asked the question, oh, well, can I get stuck in? Can I do that? Or how would that work if I explored that a bit further? So I um, I wasn't very curious between the age of about 15 and uh, 18. Uh, there was a few things that happened in my, uh, in my sort of earlier years um, and 
I just got kind of got stuck in a rut and I was funneled into doing an engineering degree because I was very good at maths and physics. I love science, anything evidence-based, and I also like taking things apart and building them back together. So I found myself doing this engineering degree and it just wasn't fitting together. I did not see myself being that chartered engineer. So I, I left the degree and I moved to Sardinia in Italy. And my plan was to essentially help my, my father renovate a house and then move on and try and figure out the meaning of life or, or whatever, as you do when you're like 19, 20. And um, he, the, the house came with like 160 olive trees. So I was really curious. I was like, ooh, how do you make olive oil then? Or what's the difference between this tree, which is for olive oil and this tree, which is for eating olives? So I started asking all these questions and getting stuck into the science behind producing olive oil. And uh, I started my first business, which was to make olive oil from the trees, import it into the UK with other Sardinian produce. Um, and that was really my sort of first real kind of um, experience in the marketing world, even though I refused to believe it was marketing because uh, I used to think all marketing was evil back then. <laughs> um, and so that was a lot of fun. The oil won two awards. It was a really brilliant adventure, but I was always kind of wanting something more, something a bit different. Um, so I got a job, I worked in sports, uh, then I worked for healthcare. And then somebody that was working in the space that I was at saw something in me and invited me to come and work with her husband's company as a marketing assistant. And I don't know anybody that's listening to this that knows that if you are the only person in that company responsible for marketing, you're not just responsible for marketing. <laughs> you are responsible for everything else that nobody wants yeah. to do. Um, but I was really fortunate and I've, I've always worked with people that have let me pursue my curiosity to ask questions, to understand how things can be made better. And I was able to do that. So I got to demo uh, products down the world's deepest gold mine. I was able to host conferences in platinum mines. I got to um, launch uh, minimum viable products by creating curiosity. Because back then, um, we weren't able to talk about the products that we were developing because if our competitors that had much bigger sales and marketing budgets than we did caught wind of what we were doing, they could come up with a competitive product um, to market and then just market us out of the, uh, out of the mm -hmm. industry. So we had, at that point, it's kind of one of my favorite um, pieces of experience, my favorite success story, because we had this product, we couldn't tell anybody what it was or what it did. Um, but we needed to generate enough curiosity so that we could launch it at this event and we could generate a really solid sales pipeline for it. So that was a really interesting challenge. And LinkedIn was a massive driver for us um, in creating that curiosity in that campaign. And that resulted in a 12 and a half million pound sales pipeline at that one event, plus an email wow. list and lots of other exciting opportunities too. So that was kind and, of the springboard. Yeah. Just to tee it up, what can you talk like what was the product? Can you speak about it now? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was a laser scanning system that you could mount oh, on okay. a vehicle, you could use it as a backpack, and you could also mount it on uh, a drone, a UAV, or a helicopter. Wow. Okay. So it, it 
basically saved a significant amount of cost for a lot of the surveying companies that wanted to start adopting laser scanning technology. So it was very disruptive. It was very cost sensitive and mm -hmm. um, it was very exciting to work on as well. So, so that was a very, very successful, uh, very, so, I, and, and what was, what was, so let's talk about that. That was sort of your first implementation of any sort of marketing strategy in your entire career really was for this very highly technical secret project. Yeah. So I think that was the first moment where I felt like I wasn't just winging it and making it up as I went along. Um, I think I'd done lots of things in the past and, you know, there were lots of things that were working, but I think at that point I never realized that what I was doing was marketing. I didn't have a label for any of the stuff. I had a real aversion to learning as well. So. I didn't read any marketing books. I didn't follow any of the marketing gurus. And I was just doing stuff because I listened to what the customers were asking. So um, every time I heard a question pop up at a trade show or a conference, I responded with a piece of content. Every time somebody um, wanted to dive into more detail about a particular product, or every time somebody rang up with a customer service, customer service query, we responded with content. So we kind of developed accidental personal brands, not just for myself, but for the other experts working within the company. And none of us really thought of that as marketing. We just thought that was the thing that we were doing because we were being helpful and we were trying to be as useful as possible to our clients. And one thing that happened shortly uh, after we launched uh, this disruptive product was that we had the opportunity to um, sell uh, laser scanning technology to the UK police force. And at that point, this was just a distributor relationship. So we were just reselling a piece of technology and the market was told they had to buy this technology, but they didn't want it. So this opened up lots of questions because we went in in the same way that our competitors did by trying to market to that audience in the same way that we'd done to the surveying companies. And I remember taking a step back and talking to one of my colleagues, thinking this is just not going to work. Our competitors have a much bigger sales and marketing budget than us. They've got so much more clout. They sell products and services that are already entrenched into these police forces. So they have the upper hand. How are we going to do this? Because there was three and a half million pounds up for grabs. And, you know, we were a relatively small company. So we started talking to the police and understanding, right, okay, well, why didn't they want this technology? What was their... Uh, resistance towards adopting it. And the more we started talking to them, the more we started to understand how they behaved, what their goals were, and how aligned and misaligned it was with the goals of the overall police force. And this for me is the most exciting thing about B2B marketing is that it's not just about understanding the goals, the pain points, the challenges of the business that you're trying to teach, that you're trying to reach. It's about understanding the individual goals, pain points, challenges, and values of the people that are not just going to be using the products and services, but also going to be making those decisions too. And finding a strategy that's going to, going to meet the needs of each different person and bring it all together. And curiosity for me is, is that key because the more intentional you can be with your curiosity, so pre-plan your questions, understand what do you want to get out of it? What's that, that positive end result? And how can you ask questions that lead you to that end result? And we won 93% of that contract. So hmm. it, it worked. 
Yes. <laughs> so, so you, like you, you know, practice what you preach like that, that was, that was incredible. And, and, um, now you see, I think you see a shift in a lot of, of business to business, B2B marketing, um, that is more focused on curiosity, but also still, there's a lot of, of people that uh, curiosity and, and, and like you said, not just selling to the company, but selling to the people within the company that actually are going to be using the product or service or whatever. Um, but I think that that's, I've only seen a shift towards more conscious marketing efforts and sales efforts recently. Like this is, this is, uh, I think you were probably a little bit ahead of your time in, in, in being so empathetic towards, towards a customer. Um, so keep, we'll keep going on, on this. Cause this is very, this is very interesting. It's going to lead up to obviously what you teach people now, I'm assuming, but yeah well I think I think it kind of comes from like so I grew up with um both of my parents had local businesses so my dad had a car garage and service department petrol station and my mum had a, a small children's wear shop uh, I'm very good at learning from other people's mistakes because I always want to know why that mistake happened and I think this is something as well that comes from my engineering background is that we don't see mistakes as failure in fact, we want to fail. That's the goal. We want to fail fast so that we can constantly learn and we can constantly keep moving forwards. And that's the only way that we're going to move forwards. And with my mum's business, it got broken into loads of times and it, you know, it didn't last a very long time. It definitely wasn't a success story, but there was definitely learnings that we could take from it. Um, in my dad's business as well, there was a lot of learning that I gained from that because um, I don't know if you have it uh, over on your side of the pond, but over in the UK, we have a stereotype for a salesperson, which is generally like that. Very kind much, of... very much the same here. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. that used car salesman. And, you know, yeah. one of my dad's employees, we used to call him Trevor Two Suits. Um, oh, and yeah. he was that stereotype. You know, he didn't care what the customer needed. He just cared yeah. about selling the car, meeting his budget. Whereas my dad was the complete opposite. He hated sales. And all he did was just want to make the customers happy and give them something that they wanted, that made them uh, achieve their goals and that made them want to come back because they felt safe, they felt trusted and uh, they felt like somebody understood them. And that was his approach. And I think I've always had that. And I just think the more you can understand how your customers behave and the more you strive to better sell and better serve, mm -hmm. that's going to come out in your marketing. And as long as you have that purpose to make a difference to somebody else, to be useful, again, you can start being more intentional with your curiosity because you're trying to understand how to make the lives of your customers better. That's intentional curiosity. It, so describe it to me, but that's like the, what you just said, focusing on always making the lives of your customers better. That's, that's intentional curiosity? Uh, for me, yes, in a nutshell, because I think my, I believe that it's through business that we're going to make a positive impact in the world. And I think that if you have a business, it is your responsibility to think of more than just yourself and think of more than just making profit. And it's that sort of, you know, looking at what is the purpose of your company? What difference are you trying to make in the lives of your customers, the lives of the, the people that work for you, with you? What difference are you trying to make in the world or even in your industry? And I think it's that like, it's that sports analogy. Um, when I was rowing, it was always like, right, okay, how can you make that boat go faster to coin the term? Like, how can you, yeah. if you don't win a race, you look at the next race and you just think, right, okay, how can I apply what I did there, build on that so that I can win the next race or at least be better than I was yesterday? 
And it's the same in business. It's like, right, okay, cool. Well, I'm doing this marketing or I'm selling this product and I'm working with these customers. How can you improve on that all the time? And for me, the biggest difference is all in those marginal gains. It's all in that, you know, the, the little tweaks that you can make, the little things that you can do, the little experiences and the little moments that you can create is going to make people want to keep coming back to you and, and tell other people about as well. I was looking on, uh, as I was doing some research, I saw on, I think it was either your website or your podcast, there was a point. Most businesses don't have a marketing plan. So we're talking about, we're talking about customer centric marketing. We're talking about mm -hmm. being curious and intentionally curious. Let's take it a step back. What do you mean by that statement that nobody, that most businesses don't have a marketing plan? Uh, so just in, in my experience, most businesses don't have a marketing plan. And also I think when I started my business, I uh, originally set out to help people with events and trade shows. I didn't yeah. want to do it for them, but because I had a lot of experience uh, doing events and trade shows, I saw so many opportunities to help people and businesses be more effective, more purpose-driven and you know, get more from their activity because it was very much seen as like, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to go to this other event. I hate it. I don't like speaking to, to customers. I don't know if they're interested or not. We can't measure the ROI from this event and you know all of the above. So I did a piece of research and the conclusion was that people didn't want to pay to learn how to do events and trade shows better. They just wanted to pay somebody to take it off their hands and do it. So I was like, mm, okay, what do I do then? And that's where I got to uh, the LinkedIn training because everybody kept asking me about the successes that I had had and my team had had on LinkedIn. And then that, that just kind of snowballed and it, it, it just happened. But what I found was that everybody wanted to know how to leverage LinkedIn to get more leads, more sales, more referrals, but they still didn't have a marketing plan. And I found that a lot of the training that I was doing focused on, right, okay, let's have a look at your marketing strategy. And then let's use LinkedIn as a tool to help you achieve your marketing objectives. And for me, marketing isn't just lead generation, it's sales, it's customer service, it's referrals, it's, it's the whole mix. So I think that, you know, if you look at your overall business objectives, <clears throat> so beyond just what do you need to do in order to survive, but also what do you need to do so that you can thrive and grow? And then think, right, okay, well, what marketing do I need to do to help me achieve those objectives? And so I love that. Oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, 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 go on. What? I was just going to say, so I'm just, so now I'm, I'm, I'm for, for the listeners, I'm sort of laying out this, this framework. So like, first of all, we have to understand what marketing is and what marketing isn't. And of course, when, you know, when we're talking about this, we're talking about people that are, don't have huge teams, don't have resources. They may not understand, you know, that marketing is, is much more than just going out to LinkedIn and getting some new leads. Like it's a holistic view of how you approach your customer. Um, so now we have, we have that definition. That's a, that's a great definition to start from. We lead with curiosity. So that's, you know, you're intentionally curious now. Walk me through customer centric marketing because that would be the, I, I guess, customer centric marketing across everything you do, every interaction, every, every engagement you have with the customer, that's sort of the, the end goal, correct? Yeah. Is that, I think is if, that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you, if you pull it back to the, what is the purpose of marketing? The purpose of marketing is to drive revenue in the business. How are you going to drive revenue is to find new customers to sell to to sell more to existing customers yeah. or to develop new products and services so that you can, you know, 
tag the, the first two points. So when you look at the purpose of marketing and look at those different areas, you can be intentional with your curiosity to say, right, okay, so we've got this existing customer base. This is always the easiest place to start. How can we sell more to them? What can we do to make their job easier? What can we do to make their business go smoother? What can we do to solve more of their pain points and challenges and leverage the relationships that we've got already? Then it's like, right, okay, so these are the people that we're targeting. How can we attract more people into the business? How can we make the lives of more people, more businesses better? And it's start asking those questions and kind of like reverse engineering the process. Um, and then when it comes to sort of developing new products and technology, it's okay. So what are our customers asking us for that we do not have right now? Or what are our customers talking about that we need to look towards the future to help them with their business and their future as well? So it's not being curious just because you just want to sit there daydreaming all day thinking what's the next big thing, but it's thinking about, right, okay, what problem am I trying to solve? How many different ways can I think of doing that? And then which is really going to help us achieve those specific objectives that you set within your own business? And what do you see? So this is, this is, this is great framework now. So what do you see or what do you advise when, when companies are doing this? How, how do they sort of action on, on those steps? Some sort of like high-level tactical takeaways uh, for reaching out onto LinkedIn or to reaching into an existing customer base, uh, maybe conducting customer interviews. I don't know. What, what are some things that you sort of, your, I guess your framework without, you know, laying it all out, because obviously people <laughs> still want to, to speak with you and to, to pick your brain and to reach out to you. But what do you, what do you recommend just to get started? Uh, so, so my framework is sort of behind me, which is um, Otter. And that, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah not, not just a cute aquatic animal version. Um, so uh, it's, it's hilarious because I use a lot of mountain climbing analogies and metaphors and you, you don't see otters up mountains, but uh, they're very, very, very curious, <laughs> curious creatures. Um, so, yeah, the first thing is to start with the objective. So, like, you know, um, if you uh, look at your long term vision of the company, uh, let's say, for example, you um, want to launch a new product and service because you're uh, you want to launch a new product because you're a service based company and your future vision is to sell the business for a certain amount. And in order to do that, you need to have a physical product. But you're two, maybe three years away from doing that. You then have a look at right. OK, so T in Otter tools. What tools, assets and resources do you need in order to achieve those objectives? And it's if you want to launch um, a new product and you don't currently have an email list, you want to make sure that when you're at the point of launching that product, you have an established audience in order to do that. So it's that kind of you're building a bit of foresight into it. But also, if your objective is, okay, I just want to go from one to two million pounds in revenue, you then have a look at what tools, assets, and resources you already have. And then you can start asking questions around, right, okay, what can I leverage further? What can I squeeze more out of? How can I optimize that and make that better? So in the, in the context of, you know, like a lot of people think tactically when it comes to marketing. So, you know, you've got a, another marketing expert or agency saying you need to do webinars. Webinars are the next big thing. Webinars are going to help you achieve your objectives. Rarely do they ever say that or put numbers against it. But it's like, OK, so 
you're going to run a webinar. So you're going to need a landing page. You're going to have to get people to that landing page. You need to get people to actually join the webinar when it starts. You want to get people to stay to the end. There are lots of different touch points or breadcrumbs, as I like to call them, along the way. So if you've run webinars in the past, more often than not, you can have a look at those different breadcrumbs and you can say, right, okay, well, we've only got 50% of people that view this landing page actually opt in. So how can we increase that? Um, okay, so we've only got 30% of people that opt in actually showing up to our webinar. How can we increase that? I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. HubSpot is the CRM platform that is easy to implement and is even easier to get your team to adopt. And ask anybody that's implemented new technology in a company, the biggest issue is not finding it or buying it. It's getting your team and your company to actually use it and adopt it. And when it's a piece like a CRM, one of the most critical pieces of your business infrastructure and your tech stack, if people don't adopt it and use it, that means you're getting incomplete data, you're getting missing data, you're getting garbage data, it could impact quite literally everybody in your company, as well as it could negatively impact your customers and your revenue. So how does HubSpot solve for this with their CRM platform? There's two components that they focus on that allow for organizational wide adoption. This is the contact timeline, as well as the mobile app. So the contact timeline gives a historical context for all of the data that is associated with a certain contact in the CRM. That means that anybody across the organization can see all the actions and all the interactions that have taken place against that particular contact. You can also use that timeline to make calls to these contacts, enroll them in sequences, put them into marketing or sales campaigns, schedule a meeting, open tickets. The historical timeline makes it easy to take action as well as to track the action that's been taken against all of your contacts. And it's not a pain to enter the information, which means that it doesn't take somebody a long time to put in great data, which can again positively impact your whole company. The second piece is the access from anywhere, meaning if I have a phone and I'm on the road, the world's opening up a little bit more now, people are traveling again, I can use the HubSpot app to access my CRM anywhere, on the go, on the fly, doesn't matter. So I have complete access to the CRM, I have access to my spreadsheets, my calendars, my notebooks, all of my contacts. I can send messages across my team with the HubSpot keyboard. I can access my contacts, call them through the HubSpot app. I can take quick notes, I can take contact information, I can all log it into my HubSpot app so that I can pull it up later on my desktop when I'm back at home. It's simple, it's intuitive, it's meant to make it easy, frictionless, so that your team sees the value in properly using the CRM to the fullest of its capabilities and gives them the tools and the tech to allow them to do it without spending too much time and causing them more headache. The best thing about HubSpot is that it can be set up for any any size of business and it will scale with you. If you're just starting out, you can take advantage of certain features and then as you scale your business, you'll notice that HubSpot will support almost anything you need as you grow. So if you do want to learn how to scale your business without scaling complexity, go to HubSpot.com. And, and it's just looking at each of those touch points and thinking, right, okay, what can we optimize? What can we leverage? What can we make better? So I always say that everybody, every business is already sitting on a mountain of value and every business is already doing amazing marketing, whether they realize it or not. And the missing piece is to bring it together into what I call a curious marketing system, which basically just looks at, right, okay, how are we generating curiosity in our, in our market? Um, a lot of marketers call this awareness. 
I think in today's day and age, it's not enough to just make people aware of you because it's so noisy online and yeah, yeah. in trade shows. You need to make them curious. You need to make them want to find out more. But that's not enough. You then need to make them curious and turn that curiosity into action. So how are you going to take curious people and turn them into a lead? And that's like, you know, development of lead magnets, making sure that you've got book a call, making sure that you are leaving those breadcrumbs so that your audience knows what step to take next. And then after that, we all know not all leads turn into sales. So you need to sort of branch them out. So, right, okay, so what happens to the high quality leads that you need to have a sales conversation with or you need to do a demonstration? What are those breadcrumbs that you need to leave so that you can turn those leads into sales? And then on the other branch, it's okay. So these leads that are curious, but not yet ready to buy, how can we nurture that curiosity, build that excitement and give them reasons to then take that next step and go down the sales route? And then the sales route is like, okay, so from a marketing point of view, how can you make their experience super special? How can you take advantage of each touch point, each opportunity so that their experience is incredible, they want to tell others about it. They want to keep coming back for more and they want to turn into referral partners. And I think this is where like, I love, <clears throat> again, the engineer in me having a system and a process for each different step of this system, <laughs> you know, because if you assume your best clients are going to give you a testimonial or become a referral partner, you, you're using what I call hope marketing which is really difficult to track. <laughs> and it's just a bit, you know, you, hope is not a good marketing strategy. Whereas if you say, okay, so I'm gonna put a checklist in place so that every client that goes through my system, I ask them if they know anybody that would benefit from our, our services or that would benefit from using our products. You ask them for those LinkedIn recommendations, you ask them for the case studies, but you build it into the process. So you're not wasting any, any energy in doing the things that you should be doing anyway. And you've got that free energy to be curious and to kind of like heighten your spidey senses to uh, yeah. pick up on the things that they're saying. I love that. Thank you for breaking that down. I appreciate it. <laughs> and do you, do you think like, do you see a shift in, in, in businesses being forced to market this way? Do you see that more businesses are being curious or do you still see just from your perspective, uh, many people still default to the de facto Tony two suits, used car salesman, outbound sales, you know, <laughs> kind of, kind of strategy. I think, uh, I think both are always going to be around. I think the old fashioned way of doing sales is never going to go away, but I think companies that adopt that old fashioned approach to sales are going to get left behind and are going to struggle to keep up. Um, what's, what's the, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go on. Uh, no, it was just, it's just more that I think, uh, I, I host a, a marketing club, we call it the curious marketing club. And we were having a discussion about innovation earlier today. And um, we were we were talking about tips and strategies about how you can stay on top of the game and always be looking forward and not getting left behind. And a lot of that is just to be curious, to be asking, um, you know, if you work within a team, to be asking the team, what do you think? Um, what's your experience? How can we add more value here? To be going to your customer base, asking them, you know, what's your biggest challenge? Uh, you know, where do you see yourself in a few years time? How can we help you get there? Um, you know, and, and supporting them on that journey. 
what's the what's the recurring biggest issue that businesses face or that you see businesses have when they come and contact you? Is there one that uh, stands they, out? Yeah, they don't know where their customers are. Or they don't know how to um, how to start a conversation with them. Interesting. And and what would you say the biggest biggest misconception about marketing is that's still widely believed? Uh, that you just do marketing and then it will work and deliver you lots of leads. So you spend the money and then it will just magically work. And I think the biggest misconception is that it's it, it it's a one time thing, or you just do it when you need to do it. And this, I'm talking more from a small business uh, point yeah. of view. So like the SME yeah. market where you're having to be resourceful rather than how can you embed this in the culture of the company and empower all of the customer facing employees at the bare minimum to really know what is the mission of the company? What's the vision? Who are they targeting and how to engage them in a curious conversation so that they either want to find out more about how you can help them or tell other people about you. It's an interesting, I, I, you, you've brought up evangelism a lot. Um, you, yeah. you, you've spoken about it quite a bit and I, and I love, I love speaking about evangelism. I think it's uh, a, something that nobody really, many people don't take advantage of, of getting their employees to evangelize the company for them because they don't know how to unlock that in their employees. So of course, Employees don't own the company. You can't expect employees to care as much about the owner. But still, what you're talking about is at least showing them the vision, showing them the finish line so that they understand where everybody's heading. So do you have do you have tips? Because I think half of this is yes. You, you spoke about we have to be innovative in the sales and marketing strategy that we, you know, that we use, but also how do we how do we get everybody to buy in? So what are some tips that you may have for an entrepreneur that feels like there's a disconnect? Because I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm sure there's more disconnect between entrepreneurs and founders and their, and their team than there are companies that don't know how to market properly. I'm sure that at least some companies get marketing, but I'm, I'm almost positive virtually no founders that I've worked with really get their team day one unless they've worked with somebody to figure it out or they've been a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, I think you, um, you've you said it in your podcast in the past, which is that, you know, the, the key to success is when the CEO, the MD gets marketing. Yeah. And I think when they get marketing, they, they will put the effort into making sure it is embedded in the culture. Um, so practical tips, um, because I love this uh, side of things, practical tips is just make sure that your, your team is aligned with uh, the vision and the mission. So at, you know, have weekly huddles where you're reinforcing that message. You're letting your entire team know uh, where you're at now, where you're going, and what you need to do in order to get there. Um, and this way, you're inspiring your team, and I've seen this firsthand, to come to you with ideas and opportunities. Uh, and, and this is how I grew in my career, by just seeing an opportunity and thinking, we could totally get that deal, but let's figure out a way of doing it. You know, rather than just thinking that's not my job title, I, you know, um, it, it's just about thinking outside of the box and collectively working towards that vision. And the second thing as well is to make sure that the entire team knows how to talk about the company and the products in a very simple way. So that when they're out at a nightclub in an extreme environment, if somebody asks them, what do you do for a job? They don't need to go into war and peace, but they can succinctly and quickly articulate what the company does so that the other person 
if they're in a position to, will say, oh, tell me more, I'm interested. Or mm -hmm. if it comes up in conversation, they're like, oh yeah, I met this person once, really interesting. They did this, yeah. I could connect you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I like that. I like that analogy a lot. That's very important because I think that that's also, you know, that's lost on a lot of employees. They, they, they have a, they have an idea of what their job does, or they have an idea of uh, at a very technical level, but how do you just like, what's that, what's that, you know, organization wide elevator pitch that yeah. everybody gets buys into and not like, not like, you know, when we talk about this, I want to be very clear. This is not like a, a top down forcing a vision on a team approach. That's not, it's not going to work. It's just never going to work. You're never going to, you're never going to force someone to buy into something. They may, they may bullshit you. They may look at you because they don't want to lose their job and say, yeah, I totally get it. Like that makes sense to me. But if, if it's not something that they get, that they align with, that they really understand or they buy into, um, then it's not, it's not a company vision. It's your, as a founder vision. And that's useless in my opinion, because you're not going to be on every sales call. You're not going to be the one posting on social media. You're not going to be the one writing a copy on your website. So mm -hmm. just something, you know, make sure that it's, it's actually something that is created from, of course, you have a strong, you have a strong understanding of what your business does, but also I love that open door policy that, you know, that two way communication, transparency, feedback, a lot of people say they do it, they don't do it properly. So if, if you have, if you have your sales reps, your marketing individuals, your customer success, whatever it may be, uh, you know, they're the ones who are on the ground talking to customers and they come back with real, real takeaways from the conversations they have. It's probably best to, you know, put the ego aside and, and try and figure out how to include those feedbacks and those learnings into, into your core company, because that's what everybody else is feeling. That's what everybody else believes. And that's, and, I think, how you get. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've seen it. I've seen it work, and I've seen it fail. Um, and I think it's that like people don't consider the power of internal marketing, but also it's that like I think a lot of companies feel so much pressure to pitch and sell. You know, it's that age-old thing. You know, if you go into a networking room, you ask everybody who's here to sell, everybody puts their hand up. You ask everybody yeah. who's here to buy and nobody puts their hand up. Yeah. You know, if you go in trying to sell the thing that you're talking about, if the person that you're speaking to, whether it's somebody in a networking environment, it's somebody on LinkedIn, it's somebody at a trade show, or if it's somebody in the coffee shop whilst you're waiting to pick up your coffee, if they have no interest or need for what it is that you're selling, they're just going to filter out what it is that you're saying. So you're wasting your breath by explaining what it is that you do. However, if you can flip it on its head and you can come up with a, an elevator pitch or a pitch that isn't a pitch, but instead it sparks the curiosity of somebody else, they are far more likely to either ask you to tell them more about that because whether they want it or not, they're interested, Therefore, they're going to remember it more. And then also, if somebody else at another point in their, their life or their time asks them, do you know anybody that does X, Y, and Z? They'd be like, yes, I do. Yeah. You know, so you can empower your employees to be able to do that, but you can also empower your customers to do that as well. So, you, you know, you're creating a, uh, like a community or a fan base of, of advocates and people that can do your marketing for you. But you have to know what you want them to say it has to be simple and it has to be repeatable. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, all right. So we've gone into curiosity. We've gone into <laughs> marketing. Um, we've gone, in, we've gone in depth. I appreciate, I appreciate all the, you know, you really, you really did break down some really good points. So thank you. Um, 
So uh, I like to do a little bit of rapid fire, just to pull out some life lessons out of your career. But before we go into that, is there anything, any other final thoughts that we didn't tap into curiosity, marketing stuff that you're working on now that you wanted to bring up, um, go for it. Uh, so in terms of what I'm working on now, I am in the process of a rebrand because I wanted to really embed curiosity into my overall business. Uh, so my new business is curious B2B marketing. And, um, is that like, I'm, you know, I've spent three and a half years really focusing on helping people leverage LinkedIn as a tool, but it is just a tool. So now I'm, I really want to help people with a step-by-step marketing plan that is simple. So like really stripping out all of the, the complexity that a lot of the marketing gurus out there that add into it, because it really doesn't need to be complex. Um, and then just help them build momentum so that they can either do or delegate confidently and effectively. Um, And I just think that since I started asking for help from external people outside of the company, that's when it started making a bigger difference for me because you can be more curious and explore more on how to make things better than if you were just doing it internally. So that's what I I work a lot with companies to do. Um, And then also just to wrap up with the otter, really. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, just so everybody's got a a really useful tool And if you email me um, after this episode, I've got a frog in my throat. If you email me after this episode, I do actually have a workbook that you can that you can use. I'm happy to give it away for free because I think if you want to avoid wasting money, wasting time, wasting energy, getting frustrated and experiencing all the marketing injuries that we all have all the time, use Otter because it will help you avoid those injuries. So O is objectives because there is no point in doing anything unless you know where you're going and what you want to achieve from it. T is tools. So look at what you already have before start looking at the next new shiny object. The other T is training. So identify the gaps in your knowledge, your skills, your experience, and also your confidence, you know, and and identify what you need to get help with and seek help. And the E is expectations. Really important because you want to make sure that you are aligning your own expectations of yourself. So do you have enough time, energy, and money to do the things that you need to do to achieve your objectives? And if you're working with other people, do they know what your objectives of them are and expectations? And do you know what their expectations of you are? Very good. Really important, especially if you're working with an agency, (laughs) you know, especially. And then the R is to constantly be reviewing and reflecting on what it is that you're doing so you can know what to stop doing, start doing, continue doing and optimize. I like 12 week marketing sprints. I just think it's uh, it's long enough to get stuff done, but short enough to not go down a rabbit hole and end up wasting too much time and energy. Um, But then also it's don't fall into the trap of just being always being busy or too busy being busy. Uh, make sure that you are scheduling time to review and reflect and look at your overall marketing system, identify the gaps, identify the areas that you can optimize uh, and look for those quick wins. Just be curious as to how you can make things better all the time. So yeah, that's the author. <laughs> very good. Thank you very much. And and yeah, send me, send me links because that will all go in show notes and people can check it out, um, get the workbook or whatnot. So I appreciate it. All right uh some some life lessons to pull out of you um what was the biggest challenge that you had in your career and how did you overcome it um the biggest challenge was i was um 
being set up to take over the company that I worked for a few years ago. So I was doing director development programs, leadership programs, and uh, I was on track to do that. And then the two founders, it was a husband and wife company, and they started working with an external management consultants and just sort of, sort of pushed me aside. And I, I didn't really know what to do with that or how to react. And it, it brought up quite a few feelings of like, um, it, it was just a very uncertain time. Communication was really bad. Um, it, the company isn't around anymore as a result of that. And I, I got some therapy. I just decided, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I have enough, enough emotional maturity to deal with this situation. I didn't understand what was going on. And I turned from the company's biggest star into its biggest rebel, which wasn't mm. serving anybody. And um, so, yeah, I, uh, I got some therapy and that, that was really helpful. It made me understand that actually it, it wasn't my fault. I just wasn't having my needs met and the communication was lacking. And it just, it just helped me figure out how to, to move forward and do different things. So then I just, I got another job with another company and, and started moving on with my work, my life. So I appreciate that. And, and I appreciate that mostly because if you are younger in your career and you are working in situations like that, like usually, usually in larger organizations, you're a little bit more protected, but in mm -hmm. smaller companies, you know, founder owned, uh, private companies, husband and wife, family businesses, sometimes it's hard to know if what you're being asked to do or, or if the direction that they're steering your career down is, is appropriate is the, or is even legal. Like sometimes, you know, like mm -hmm. when they've asked you to uh, maybe take on extra duties or, or do this or that or whatever. So that's a uh, very good, good learning for you, obviously, but just sort of a, a flag for people that are younger in their career as well. That not everything yeah. is, uh, not everything in the world is, is always perfect and, and not everybody does the right thing all the time. Right. So. And it's not always your fault. <laughs> it's not always, yeah. Most yeah. importantly, it's not always your fault. Yeah. 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 Um, if you could tell your uh, younger self one thing, what would it be? Be more confident with your curiosity. What do you mean by confident with your curiosity? What do you mean by that? <clears throat> so I, uh, to be honest, I didn't really struggle with confidence massively, but I think if I'd had that conversation with me, I think I would have um done things with a little bit more um I, i'm trying to look for the word and i can't think of the word but i think it's that if you're curious about how to make something better don't wait for the right time to bring it up or don't wait for somebody else to give you that opportunity boldly step forward and say i can see a potential solution for this let me go ahead and uh try uh right. you know some of the most incredible experiences that I've had in my life have come from doing exactly that. Um, but I just think that if I was more confident, I think I would have made my own life a little bit easier rather than put myself under so much pressure to be perfect or to be the yeah. best at it and to, to not fail. As, as is everybody who's like a people pleaser, right? Everybody yeah. who wants to <laughs> please everybody else, which is, you know, I think it takes like, you know, um, I think it takes a few, uh, a few bad experiences to to get over the fact that you have to you, you know you obviously you want to help everybody you want to do good work but you do have to be a little bit uh, selfish and and trust your own instincts sometimes and especially when it comes to like taking bold moves in your career and your mm -hmm. business whatever i think that's very important I, I i get it now i understand what you say confidence and curiosity so like just like trust trust yourself i guess mm -hmm. um okay if you had to choose one person 
um, or multiple people uh, in your life that that have had a major impact on your life? Who are they? And then also, how do they impact your life? What did they teach you? Uh, so the 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 primary person is my uh, papa, so my grandfather. He was in his eighties when I was young, and he used to bribe me and my brother up hills and mountains with barley sugars and mint humbugs, and. <laughs> He he was such a wonderful person and he was very curious. He always wanted to know stuff. Um, and he never let anything get in his way. So he was windsurfing and skiing in his 90s. And when he started to lose his memory, um, we told him his car had failed its MOT because we knew that he wouldn't buy a new car and he'd be okay with that. And it was a much nicer way than just saying, Papa, you're losing your marbles. We don't trust you to drive. <laughs> um, and he was helping my cousin renovate her house. And he it was three and a half miles away. And he had he decided that he didn't have a car. So he got on his bicycle and strapped a six foot door around his waist and on his back and cycled three and a half miles through the village with this this wow. door on his back. And he was 92 at the time. Um, and he was just one of those people that, you know, nothing was ever an obstacle. Age was never a thing. He was just like, if you need to do something, crack on and get on with it. Um, and he was, he was 103 when he passed away. It was just amazing. Wonderful person. <laughs> that's an incredible, that's an incredible person. You can just, you know, obviously, I don't know, I don't know him, but um, uh, that sounds like an incredible man for sure. Very, very good. That's something. Yeah. That's somebody I think we could learn from. Um, okay, uh, your favorite source to go to learn to grow could be a podcast, an audible, a book. What would you recommend people go check out? Um, to be honest, I think keep it, keep, keep yourself on your toes and don't get stuck into just using one particular medium. I think if you can say, right, I'm going to go to a podcast for this. I'm going to go to Reddit for this. I'm going to go listen to an yeah. audio book for this, or I'm just going to go back old school and read a, a normal book. Um, I just think keep it fresh, keep yourself on your toes and, uh, yeah, don't get stuck in any one particular way because, you never know what you're going to learn. And I think as well is that sometimes don't be afraid to read something or consume something that is so far out of your area of expertise or your industry or your zone, because it is amazing what you can learn when you pull together experiences from different spaces. You know, that's been a huge part of my success so far is that because I have such a diverse experience, I can pull different things from different industries and connect the dots. Uh, it makes life more interesting, and I think you learn more that way. Did you have um, one thing that I wanted to get was: Do you have a recommendation for a book or a podcast that, that just like obviously there's probably many, but do you have any anyone in particular that just that you've liked recently that people should go listen to? So my favorite podcast at the moment, at the very moment, is um, the High Performance Podcast. Um, it's um, sort of psychology driven high performance so they get uh sports um sports personalities they get entrepreneurs um all sorts of people that have a high performance lifestyle um and i remember li i listened to it when they were talking with johnny wilkinson so sort of british rugby um star 
And I, I contacted the host and I was like, I'm, I'm a really big interest. I, I'm a really big fan of the Formula One and the Grand Prix. Uh, I was like, are you ever going to get anybody from, from Formula One on that? And then recently they've interviewed Christian Horner, who is the team principal of Red Bull and Toto Wolf from Mercedes. So, um, I'm like loving that at the moment. And, um, it's just, I don't know. I think it's that like, if you have that high performance mentality and you listen to what drives other people, it can just help keep you motivated and inspire you and make you think about different things as well. So that's my current favorite. Yeah. Good. And uh, what does success mean to you? Being better today than I was yesterday. Simple. I like that. Okay. Most importantly, uh, where do people go to connect with you? Social, website, all of that. Uh, best place is LinkedIn. It's where I spend the majority of my time. So just LinkedIn, Charlie Wyman. So that's Charlie with an I-E, Wyman, W-H-Y-M-A-N. Um, I have my own podcast, which is The Curiosity Key. And uh, my new website, which should be live by the time uh, this podcast comes out, mm -hmm. is curiousb2bmarketing.com. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a quality? Qualified candidate 
on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text 
success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay.